Tanisan Unstuck Most people dislocate the usual things, such as shoulders, fingers or kneecaps. Trust Tanisan to dislocate her soul. It happened on a day in August, just as she was attempting to turn the tables on William, the stray cat, who, when he wasn't doing his business in her garden, was forever finding new ways to tease and torment her. On that particular morning, he was trying to steal her favourite chocolate cake, in spite of the fact that it was very bad for him and he didn't like it at all. Then again, that's the level of commitment we're talking about here. Using his recently acquired beetle skills, he'd managed to find a dark corner on the kitchen ceiling where he could watch and wait upside down while she put away the groceries. What he did not realise was that Tanisan had spotted him. Yet rather than making a big fuss about it or poking at him with her broom, she decided to play along in order to savour the feeling of suspense, which made the morning so much more interesting than it would have been otherwise. Humming a little tune to herself, she strolled across the room and casually closed two of the three doors that led into the kitchen, cutting off his secondary escape routes. Then, just as nonchalantly, she stepped out into the garden and closed the door quietly behind her. All the same, she continued to peer in through the window while she waited for him to make his move. She did not have to wait long. Not ten seconds had passed by before he emerged from the shadows, slithered down the wall and went padding across the floor to the door of the refrigerator. Tanisan held on until he reached up to the handle with his paws, before bursting into the room. Aha! she declared in a loud and triumphant voice. As the clincher, she then stepped back outside and slammed the door shut again, trapping him there. I'm not quite sure what was supposed to happen next. Now above that doorway, there was a pair of hanging baskets fashioned from a purple bra that Tanisan had purchased on an accidental trip to the UK. She'd filled the cups with soil and planted a variety of colourful flowers in them. But the strain that this had placed on the backstraps had caused the elastic to weaken over time. So when she slammed the door shut to trap William, they suddenly snapped, causing those great purple domes to come crashing down on either side of her head. There was a blinding flash and Tanisan felt herself drifting away, although it was more light-headedness than actual death as such, which she knew quite well, having suffered that inconvenience on more than one occasion. In point of fact, she appeared to be rising up into the air, or at least part of her was. The other part was still sprawled out on the kitchen doorstep between two piles of dirt, rubbing its noggin. However, as she continued to gaze down on it from above, it got to its feet and tried the door handle. No, no, don't do that, enjoined airborne Tanisan. But Tanisan on the ground did not hear her, as she would do under normal operating conditions. So as soon as she opened the kitchen door, the insufferable William came dashing out between her legs. Oh, you idiot, complained rising Tanisan to her earthbound self. Now you've gone and ruined the whole thing. To arrest her descent, she tried to grab hold of the balcony railing as she floated by, but her hand went straight through it as if she were a ghost. So then she made a grab for the wooden shutter, but it too slipped through her fingers as she continued on this upward trend. 
Oh, well, that's just brilliant, grumbled Tanisan, ghostified by a pair of triple Ds. What am I supposed to do about this? Complaining all the way, Tanisan continued to ascend on high, up past power lines, through a flock of sparrows and into the clouds. At a height of around 15,000 feet, she passed through the economy class section of an Airbus 350 that was coming in to land at Hanada Airport. Sadly, though, only one passenger spotted her there. It was a five-year-old girl with a very lively imagination who was sat in a window seat next to her sleeping mother. Well, don't just sit there gawping like a guppy fish, remonstrated Tanisan as she poured fruitlessly at the overhead storage locker. Do something to help me! Soon, however, she had left the atmosphere completely and was confronted by the limitless tracks of outer space. Shrugging helplessly at a Russian cosmonaut who happened to catch sight of her as she drifted past the International Space Station, Tanisan continued on into the void. And as she did so, she glanced back at the Earth, that most contrary of planets, and her thoughts began to gravitate towards those things that she was going to miss most. In the next instant, she found herself transported to a place that could not have been more different. It was a dim and confined space, to which her eyes only gradually became accustomed. Just in front of her was a large piece of chocolate cake. Her cake, it seemed, purchased that very morning from the Tobu department store. It was this that she had pictured as she bid a fond farewell to planet Earth. And now here she was, inside her own refrigerator, looking at it. Could it be that she had thought herself there? Was that how this ghostly nonsense worked? She decided to try an experiment to test this hypothesis. Solely by means of brainwaves, she endeavoured to think herself out of the fridge. But then something else popped into her head at the last minute and she suddenly found herself at Okunoshima Poison Gas Museum surrounded by hundreds of rabbits. Clearly, she would have to be much more careful what she thought about from now on. So then she sought to focus her attention on something that was sure to hold her interest. And her mind turned inevitably to the subject of William. In a trice, she was translated to the backyard of old Mrs Ouya's house just across the street. And the sight that greeted her there was so outrageous... It would have taken her breath away, if she'd had any, for there was William behaving like an entirely different cat, rubbing himself up against the old lady's ankles and mewing plaintively as she hung out her washing. What's going on here? she snapped jealously. What is this? What's happening? Yes, yes, Senshi, cooed old Mrs Ouya as she pegged out her towels. Be patient, puss. I've got some nice fresh salmon for your lunch and some yummy cat treats for afters. Salmon? Cat treats? He's playing you like a violin, raged Tanisan. And his name's not Senshi, it's William. Just William. How many times do I have to keep telling people? But her elderly neighbour heard none of this, because Tanisan wasn't there in any sense that old Mrs Ouya could discern. So all she could do was to bear witness as the kindly octogenarian picked up her washing basket and headed back inside. William, on the other hand, who could discern Tanisan and only pretended that he couldn't, just ignored her and trotted after the pensioner, tail in the air. It soon became clear 
that her neighbour had gone to some lengths to make William's life as comfortable as possible, in the hope that he would eventually settle there. Scattered about the kitchen was every conceivable feline accessory you could imagine, right down to a space-age cat litter pod with recorded bird sounds, non-slip entry ramp and a lotus-scented deodoriser. It had never been used, of course, or ever would be, not while he had Tanisan's back garden to do his business in. So as soon as he'd had his dinner, he was back outside. Tanisan followed him across the road and up into the branches of the ginkgo tree. She was beginning to realise that while this ghost business was the perfect intelligence gathering system, allowing her a privileged insight into William's life, including perhaps areas of weakness and vulnerability, she could not act on any of it without her body. And as soon as she thought about that, she stopped being with him and rejoined her other half, floating about above her own head as her earthbound remains busied themselves with the sorts of tasks that bodies can be getting on with while the mind is free to wander. Open heart surgery, for example, or bringing a large commercial aircraft into land in the face of a heavy crosswind. In the case of her own body, it was not quite as exciting as all that. What it was doing was sweeping up the dirt left by the giant bra. And as it did so, William came down from his vantage point in the ginkgo tree, squatted among the blooms and did his business right there in front of her, tail twitching like an epileptic eel. Yet Tanisan's body didn't even notice this, let alone care. It just went on brushing up the dirt. Clearly she had to get back inside herself and take charge of the situation before it deteriorated any further. But when she then tried to do precisely that, she bounced off her own surface like a pebble on a pond. That's typical, I'm afraid, came a voice from behind. It's actually quite tricky bringing body and soul back together once they've come unstuck. Tanisan turned to see a small, mousy-looking woman peering over her shoulder. She was a bit peculiar, Tanisan noted. She couldn't say how exactly, just peculiar. Like Mr Tanaka down the street, who smiled all the time after being struck by lightning on a hike up Mount Fuji. Do you mind said Tanisan, giving this strange person a shove with her elbow. You're invading my personal space bubble. The other lady took a step back and prodded the air with her forefinger. It's not a real bubble, Tanisan explained. It won't burst or anything. <laughs> I thought not, said the lady, but thanks for the tip. Tanisan stepped forward and eyed her new companion narrowly. Is there something I can help you with, she asked. I think we can help each other, sir said the lady, who was starting to get a bit close again. Just then, however, Tanisan made a second lunge for her body as it came marching in from the garden. Yet the sheer determination with which she did so was only matched by the speed with which she went bouncing off. That's not going to work, I'm afraid, sir, said her odd acquaintance once Tanisan had made her way back from the other side of the kitchen. It's not a question of brute force, you see. There's a technique to it. Tanisan peered at her suspiciously as she dusted herself off. If you know so much about it, she said, why do you need my help? Well, said the lady, I have a different sort of problem, you see. I have the techniques, but I don't know where my body is. So I fall into the category of lost rather than dislocated soul. One minute there I was in a bit of a pickle with all of these alarms going off, and in the next I was 
cast out into the void to wander aimlessly hither and thither, which, by the way, was when I bumped into you. So I was thinking that if, if I helped you get your body back, you could help me get mine. It could actually work out quite nicely, she added on an upbeat note. Yes, one tiny flaw in that plan as I see it, said Tanisan. I don't know where your body is any more than you do. Not a problem, sir, said the other party. Once you're in yours, you should be able to pinpoint my whereabouts on the internet. at very little inconvenience to yourself. I have a rather unusual surname, you see. Dango. Dango Haruka. <laughs> like the dumpling. She grinned unctuously. Take two steps back and stay there, ordered Tanisan, pushing her away again. All right, she said. So what's the big secret? How do I get in? Well, said the other, I believe it works on a similar principle to the pin and tumbler lock. As things stand, you're locked out of yourself without a key. So what you have to do is to pick that lock by getting the various components to line up. Tanizan thought about this for a moment. Nope, no better off for that explanation, she said. More fool me for getting my hopes up. But it is really very simple, sir insisted Mrs. Dangle. For a successful re-entry to occur, body and soul have to align, and the best way of doing that is by getting them to focus on the same objective at the same time. Once that happens, you can slip back in like a dose of salts. And how exactly am I supposed to do that? asked Tanisan. As wandering spirits, we have no influence over the material world, like the social democrats. Unless... Tanisan broke off as a curious thought popped into her head. Unless what, sir? asked Mrs. Dango, hanging on to her every word. Unless we can engage the services of a third party. But we'd have the same problem of getting in, said Mrs. D. Only now we'd have to pick two locks instead of one. Not necessarily, mused Tanisan, as this notion of hers continued to take shape. Picture, if you will, a simple soul, slow of wit, yet blessed with a mind that is always open, along with her mouth. Well, said Mrs. D, if such an aberration were to exist, it would certainly be a great deal easier to access and control. Does it? Tanisan paused and then nodded thoughtfully. Yes, she said, I believe it does. Mrs. Ishihama was so busy watering her peonies that she didn't even notice when Tanisan plus one slipped quietly into her head through her left ear hole and made their way up her tubes into the general brain area. Soon they were in a network of narrow tunnels connected by a series of circular chambers. Occasionally, the odd memory would flash up. For instance, as they were approaching the entrance to one of the smaller chambers, a shameful recollection appeared showing Tanisan and Mrs Ishihama when they were little girls, sat at a table in the school canteen. Small Tanisan points out of window and says, Look, a dragon! So small Mrs Ish turns, allowing small Tanisan to take a delicious chocolate drink from small Mrs Ish's lunchbox. Mrs Dango found this highly amusing and was keen to see more. But Tanisan insisted that they should press on deeper and deeper into the brain, what there was of it. Yet not that much further on, the tunnel they were heading down ended abruptly in a vast chasm, which rather suggested that they would have to retrace their steps and find another way round. But just then, there was a little voice off to their left. Good Lord, it said, are you thoughts? 
We haven't had a thought down here for donkey's years, and bless me if two don't turn up at the same time. The individual that emerged from the dingy side office, if individual it can be called, or indeed office, was a peach-flavoured gummy bear dressed in a high-visibility jacket and a yellow hard hat. No, we're not thoughts, said Tanisan, but we do need to get across to the other side. Are you the right uh, person to speak to? Well, shrugged the item of confectionery, thing is, this is a synapse, and I am the synapse operator, and, and I'm under strict instructions only to let thoughts across. So unless you are thoughts, I'm afraid I can't help you. Well, in that case, said Tanisan, we are thoughts. But you just said you weren't. Yes, said Tanisan, extemporising on the theme. Well, that's because we're lies, so you can't believe anything we say. I see, said the operator, eyeing her suspiciously. So, just to clarify, what you're saying now is that you're lies, not thoughts. No, said Tanisan, with thoughts. This the little candy got very confused, but then all of a sudden he pointed a stubby finger at her and laughed. Oh, ha, oh, oh, that's very clever, he grinned. When you say no, you mean yes, because you're lies. No, said Tanisan, I don't. Yes, OK, I get it. So you are lies, said the operator. Uh, but now you've got me thinking, you see. Is there any situation where a lie can also be a thought? No, said Tanisan, never. I see, said the operator, rubbing his chin. So lies and thoughts can sometimes be the same thing. In that case, I suppose, it would have to be one of those special lies that people tell themselves. You know, a, a whatchamacallit, a, a self-deception. No, said Tanisan, shaking her head. Wrong again, I'm afraid. So you are a pair of self-deceptions. Well, I'm not, said Tanisan, and I'm pretty sure she isn't either. Are you? asked the operator, turning his attention to Mrs Dangle, who was stood next to Tanisan, grinning. No! she said, happy to join in the game. Uh, yes, she then added, uncertainly. No, she finally decided. The poor little synapse operator puffed out his cheeks and scratched his head. You know what, he said, part of me believes you and part of me doesn't, and then there's a part that just wants this to be over, so I think you'd better hop on board before anyone notices. With that, he turned to the control panel next to him and pressed a big red button. There was a high-pitched whine, and then a pink plastic neurotransmitter with a smiley face on the front emerged from a tunnel beneath their feet and juddered to a halt just beyond the mouth of the chasm. It had a bar to hold on to, two saddles and stirrups for the feet, like a playground ride. Once the two ladies had been ferried across to the other side, they made their way up the incline into the tunnel beyond. Dimly, in the distance, there was a wall of sound that got louder and louder the further on they went. Can you hear that, sir? asked Mrs Dango as she trotted along next to Tanisan. I think we must be getting close to the central processing area of Mrs Ishihama's brain. Yes, said Tanisan, and I must say it does sound a great deal livelier than I expected it to. Well, it's the grand central station of the cerebral cortex, isn't it, sir? said the peculiar Mrs D, where all the heavy lifting gets done. Just think of it, you and I will be the first people ever to witness firsthand the complex inner workings of the human mind in all of its many wonders. Tanizan decided to reserve judgment on that 
until all the facts were in, and she did not have to wait long. For just over the next rise, the tunnel opened out into a large circular chamber full of bizarre creatures and fevered imaginings. Her first impression was of an enormous circus ring with a weirdly nonsensical performance going on in the middle of it. At the centre of this jamboree was a large Japanese tree frog that was marching around in circles, banging on a taiko drum. Around him, travelling in clockwise and anti-clockwise directions, were other smaller frogs who were sat at the wheels of lopsided clown cars with springs of water leaking from their radiators. These drivers were blowing on trumpets, whistles and kazoos, and the racket it produced was absolutely unbelievable. Yet perhaps the most spectacular part of it of all was the audience itself, which was arranged in tiers around the performance area, clapping and swaying, as best they could, in time to the god-awful hullabaloo. Just about every type of animal was represented there, along with many plants and shrubs. And above it all, there was a great brass trumpet thing, from which large, wobbly images would emerge like bubbles and float out across the arena, only to disappear through the other exit. Tanisan and Mrs Dango just stood there observing this spectacle as it went on and on and on. Then at last, Mrs D gave a shrug. I don't get it, sir, she said. There must be more to it than this. What are we missing? To begin with, Tanisan said nothing. But then, and without any kind of warning, she marched straight into the middle of the arena, dodging the clown car traffic, until she came face to face with the ridiculous drummer frog. Stop it! She barked, slapping his green wrists. Stop it, I said. Just stop it. Stop it. Finally, he put down his drumsticks and gave her a blank stare. His great wide mouth turned down at the corners. Then one by one, the driver frogs all slowed down and came to a halt, which in turn caused the audience to stop clapping and swaying. Eventually, there was complete silence throughout the auditorium. No one dared move. Now that she had their full attention, Tanisan turned to face the crowd. What's going on here? she said. What's this all about? But her words met with naked stupefaction and dumb looks. OK, she said in her most reasonable voice. I'll ask you again. Does anyone have the slightest idea what they're doing or why they're here? Some members of the audience fidgeted uncomfortably and there were a few embarrassed coughs. Then one or two of the penguins and a couple of the peonies shook their heads in shame. I thought not, said Talisan, so by the same token I assume that it would be a complete waste of my time to ask you where the control room is. Oh, oh, I know, came an eager little voice from the back. Stand up, please, said Talisan, searching the crowd for the speaker. A pangolin, which had so far been hidden from view by a large family of Christmas Island crabs, got to its feet and pointed to the huge brass trumpet thing above its head, just as one of the wobbly images plopped out of the end. It appeared to depict a steam iron with wings. Follow that whimsy, it said, pointing to the winged appliance. That'll take you straight there. So Tanisan and Mrs Dango chased after the wobbly whim as it floated gracefully across the arena and out through the other exit, where it shot up a shaft on a draught of air. Luckily, there was a spiral staircase nearby that allowed them to follow it all the way to the top, where it promptly burst, 
as all fanciful notions have a tendency to. Look, said Mrs Dango as they stepped off onto the top floor platform. Just ahead of them, there was a small room with two circular windows looking out onto daylight. Situated between them was some sort of pedal-driven apparatus broadly resembling an exercise machine, with a pair of telescopic grips attached to the panel in front of it. Closer inspection revealed that the pedals were labelled left leg, right leg, while the grips were marked left arm, right arm. There was also a button on the panel in front that bore the label manual override. Tanisan glanced out of the window on her right and realised that she was looking out through Mrs Ishihama's eye into her back garden, with its swathes of colourful flowers and many frog ornaments. Peering down her nose, both hers and Mrs Ish's, she noticed that her old friend had moved her ironing board outside to enjoy the summer sunshine while she did her housework, which would have been fine were it not for the fact that she'd also taken to standing in a basin of cold water for coolness sake. Oh, God, grumbled Tanisan. We'd better get her moving before she fuses herself to the national grid. It was quickly decided by a unanimous vote of one that Mrs Dango would operate the legs while Tanisan took on the somewhat lighter duties of the upper limbs. So once they were in position, she hit the override button and they assumed full manual control of Mrs Ish. Perhaps control is a rather optimistic way of putting it. There was very little evidence of that as Mrs Ishihama lurched about the garden like a malfunctioning robot with an empty basin on one foot, bumping into things, arms and legs flailing wildly. Nor was it even vaguely evident when she smashed through the back door like Frankenstein's monster and began stumbling about the kitchens, knocking pots and pans off hooks and shelves. What's going on, sir? called out Mrs Dango, still peddling furiously. All is chaos and confusion. I'm trying to find the spare key to my house, Tanisan shouted back as she struggled with the telescopic hand grips. And stop calling me sir. After a while, they managed to locate said item lying at the bottom of a small pot. Yet it took Tanisan an inordinate amount of time to get the fingers to grip it and even longer to get the owner of those fingers ready to go out. That said, some 20 minutes later, Mrs Ish could be seen marching stiffly down the street towards Tanisan's house, her jacket only half on, odd shoes on her feet, and Tanisan's spare house key held aloft in front of her. The next big challenge was getting the key into the lock on Tanisan's front door, which was a bit like trying to thread a sewing needle with a yakisoba noodle. Finally, however, they managed to pull it off. So with no further ado, they steered Mrs Ishihama into the kitchen so that Tanisan could set about the serious business of getting back together with her other half, which at the time was hoovering upstairs. All the same, she was deeply shocked when she peered out through Mrs Ish's eye into her own backyard, for William had taken full advantage during her absence to re-establish squatter's rights for himself and his flea-bitten friends, by which I mean the de facto practice of using her flowerbeds as the place to do their business in. As a result, there were stray cats everywhere. With no time to lose, Tanisan and Mrs D rushed back to the controls and steered Mrs Ishihama towards the fridge. 
It was way beyond their piloting skills to perform a task as intricate as opening a can of tuna, so it was a lucky thing that Tanisan had bought some fresh the previous day. This she cut into pieces and distributed it around the kitchen area. All that remained then was to open the window, retreat into the shadows and wait. It was not long before the insufferable William showed himself, pausing on the kitchen windowsill to sniff the air. Then, proceeding very cautiously, he sidled into the room and began to chew on a fleshy morsel that was draped over the cold water tap. Before long, others followed, and soon the entire kitchen was inundated with homeless felines. Their timing could not have been better, for just as they were all tucking into their fishy titbits, the kitchen door swung open and Tanisan's body came striding into the room, vacuum cleaner in tow. As it did so, her soul's righteous anger at the barefaced effrontery of William and her body's righteous anger at having a nice clean kitchen messed up suddenly aligned, allowing the dislocated aspects of Tanisan to snap back into place. There isn't much to say other than that. Once the cats had been ejected and Mrs Ish safely returned to her factory settings, Tanisan kept her promise to Mrs Dango by tracking down her bodily whereabouts on the internet. Not long after that, a curious item appeared on the evening news. A notorious pyromaniac known as the Shinjuku Firestarter had escaped from custody at Tokyo Medical University Hospital after coming out of a coma that resulted from being hit by a Mr Chicken food truck while attempting to evade arrest. While no one had ever been injured by the Firestarter's activities, she held the record for setting the most fires in local law courts, tax offices, police stations and various government buildings. Her distinctive calling card being a lightly toasted marshmallow left in some conspicuous spot at the scene of the crime. Needless to say, her current whereabouts were unknown. <laughs>